0: That's ixl.com slash be. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to do list. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I just want to take a minute and remind you to check out ConradChallenge.org and look at the kinds of things you can do to support students. The Conrad Challenge is really about facilitating 21st century skills of creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, communication. So go and check that out at ConradChallenge.org. And if you missed my interview with Nancy Conrad, go check that out as well at TransformativePrincipal.org slash Nancy Conrad. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is episode 257. I'm so excited because I get to speak with Will Richardson and Bruce Dixon. I've been following Will for a very, very long time, and I love the work that they are doing with Modern Learners right now. It is just amazing. Now, I've talked to you in the last couple podcasts about the Five Days to Your Best Year Ever course that is uh, open right now. You can go and subscribe to that. And I just want to tell you real quick about how this has Changed My life because I think it's really important. I'm working on something right now, which is designing this K-12 school that I have had as a dream goal of mine for how long has it been? 16 years. When I was on a mission for my church in Russia, I applied to a university, which rejected me. And in my application, I said, I want to create a K-12 school. That is different than what we're currently getting in education. Now, some things have certainly changed in education since then, but that desire to create a school that is drastically different than the factory model, that dream is finally coming to fruition. And I really do believe that even though I found five days to your best year ever just a few years ago, and they've only been doing it for six It has helped me focus and be able to get narrow and more in tune with getting that goal accomplished. Now, that's not a done deal yet, right? And so there's still work to be done, and I go before the board in about a month to talk more about that. But being able to set goals and then work to achieve them is really, really powerful, and it's definitely going to be a foundation of my school, whatever school I'm working in for the rest of my career, because I believe it is so powerful and it's so empowering when you can dream up the kind of life that you want and then do the things to go and get it. And that is, that's exactly what I try to do every single day. And what I love about the best year ever course is that it really helps you do that. So if you haven't done it yet, please go to transformativeprincipal.org slash best year ever. Go sign up for that. As I mentioned before, I'm an affiliate and I do get a small commission. If you do sign up for that, which I greatly appreciate. And even if I wasn't getting the commission for it, I would still be promoting this because I personally use it and I know how valuable it is for me personally. So Thank you so much for listening. This is a great conversation with Will Richardson and Bruce Dixon from Modern Learners and Change School. Please enjoy it. And thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle. Have a wonderful day and enjoy this interview. Hey, y'all. This is Gretchen from Always a Lesson's Empowering Educators podcast. I'm a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts, but make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is episode 257 with Bruce Dixon and Will Richardson. I hope I said your guys' names in order. Is that okay? Do I need to say Will first and Bruce second? No, no, you
1: got it right. (laughs) <laughs> this, week, this week, you got it right. Next week, I come first. Okay, good. I, I sure appreciate you
0: guys being on. Um, I've been a big fan of you for many years, especially you, Will. You were one of the first people that I followed on Twitter way back in the day. And so it's an honor to, to finally be able to talk to you both and talk about what's going on. And you guys have founded Modern Learners and Changed School. And would you like to talk a little bit first about what those are?
1: Will? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having us, Jethro. I really appreciate it, and uh, glad we could make the time to to have a chat. So yeah, so Modern Learner started actually in a car ride uh, to the Melbourne Airport about eight years ago when when Bruce said, "You know, I got this idea. Maybe we can start, you know, doing this thing." And at that point. Uh, We said, sure. And then that thing didn't really work out so well. And then we tried another thing. and We tried a couple other things. And each time I think we learned a little bit more about what we were trying to do. But we've gotten to the point now where um, modern learners and change school and, and the work that we're doing with our modern learner labs and a whole bunch of other stuff that's coming in the pipeline. Um, it's really some of the best work I've ever done. I think Change School, I talk about Change School specifically as the best work I've ever done. It's just become this really powerful space for people to have important conversations about schools. And I've been just floored by the level of passion and interest and, and, um, sincerity and seriousness of the work that people do in there. So, it's been a real interesting journey, but I think we've arrived at a place, and we're still on the journey, obviously, but I think we're arrived at a place temporarily, at least that we're both really yeah, that we're both really happy with Bruce.
2: Yeah, I, I concur t- totally. and I think also you'd agree, will, that it's, as you said, it's a level of sincerity, it's a level of openness, it's a level of transparency that people bring. You know, we, when we started, we we talked about the challenges that all of us have, all three of us and others who are listening have when you're involved in doing presentations, keynotes or even workshops to an extent and they become sort of drive-by events. You, you're in there for a, a day or an, a keynote's an hour and you might get great response. People might love what they, you know, they clap and do, say all things to you. But ultimately what happens when they walk out the door? And that was our biggest concern. That was what we were talking about in that car ride. And... Um, so we just we just that that's been the the consistent thing that we've hung on to. We we realise that if you're in the business of change, if you understand that we need to rethink, reimagine what school could and should be, then you you really you need to have the ability to have an ongoing conversation, to connect with other people who have like similar ideas, who have other experiences, who have met the challenges, and above all, who are open about it. You know, who, who understand that if they're not willing to share not just the successes, but also the challenges and the failures they've had, then it really doesn't become a, a very worthwhile place to be. And, and I think that would, if, if you said what was the, our, one of our biggest successes, it certainly is that, that it seems that people feel trusted. They trust us. They trust their peers inside this community. And, you know, in change school, that's particularly evident, but, but also in the modern learners community, which is the wider community where, you know, we've now got, I think, well over 500, 800 people inside there. And these are people whose work has often been remote or isolated either by geography or by. You know circumstance or whatever it might be, and so we have you know people sitting in Christchurch, talking to people in South Africa, talking to people in Europe, talking across North America, obviously, a lot of people across the whole of North America and Canada, um, and sharing ideas and and as I, as I said before we came on, Jethro. We understand the nuances and the subtleties and the differences in context that we all work, but we also very strongly identify with the commonalities and, and the similarities of our work. And there are themes that come through that we can learn from each other. And I think that's been a really powerful outcome for us.
0: I had a, a teacher who, who asked me the other day, how do you keep on going when there are there are deep philosophical divides uh, between people who are traditional educators and those who are trying to um, move some things forward. What is your advice to someone who feels isolated, who's who's stuck in a, in a school that, you know, their peers don't really understand how they're trying to adapt learning to the modern day? Like, what's your advice for that?
1: Well, I would say it's really hard. Uh, there's no question about it, no matter what. What level you're at if you're looking at the world and you're seeing things a little bit differently in the context of how things operate in schools or that we need to operate, you know, differently in schools. It's a difficult conversation for a lot of people to have because certainly there's a kind of an intellectual element of it where it requires a lot of deep existential conversations these days about what schools and classrooms should be like. But then there's a very powerful emotional piece of it too that asks us to redefine who we are and, and find different value in our work and um, that's a very difficult thing for people to do. I mean, I, I'm sustained by just the power of the conversation. For me personally, it's just constant learning that I, I just find that question to be fascinating. You know, what what can schools, what must schools become in a world that's changed so much in the last 20 years? I'm convinced that the traditional structures and systems are not sustainable. I don't think that in many ways they're good for kids, to be honest with you. I'm not sure they ever have been, but I think that now uh, more than ever, that's more obvious and and those those kind of tensions are more acute. So to me, that's what motivates me. But for people who are in classrooms and in schools where uh, there's a real tension around this type of change, and obviously there are lots of other things that are going on in terms of State requirements and you know just uh, salaries and all you know all sorts of things, all sorts of pressures that teachers are put under these days. It's really hard. I think, as Bruce said, what we've tried to do is create some space for people to connect who maybe don't have the ability to have those types of conversations in their own physical spaces. But uh, yeah, it's really hard. And and I would say too though that the when you try to step back from it a little bit and you look at what's possible now it's pretty cool too. You know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing moment when it comes to not just how we can learn on our own, but the types of things we can do with kids in schools now. And so, you know, if we aspire to doing something different, I think that more and more we're seeing that different is possible and um, that it's a really, it's a, it's a really good shift for kids too. So that hopefully will help people. Stay motivated through what is still going to be a long-term difficult change process, even you know at a local level or at a national or a global level. And I, I think also it, it's very dependent,
2: of course, what people's role within a school is. It's a very different challenge if you're a school leader um, and, you know, you might be in a district which has very fixed views about what school could, could and should be. And or within a school as a teacher, I think that's as you know as wide as your question can be taken, Jethro. And yet, I think you know in our work we've we've tried to be as inclusive as we can. And so, um, whilst a lot of our work is focused towards leaders, we also talk about embracing people who are emerging um, or aspiring leaders. And of course, that then brings in an, an extraordinary number of educators who see themselves either. Currently, in a leadership role of some sort within the school, not necessarily as principal or deputy or assistant, um, but also may in the future wish to be in that space. Um, And and then, additionally, uh, we talk about leadership from the the middle—the so-called dark agents of change. And I like that label just because I don't know, maybe it has some cool hang to it. But we're serious about it. I mean, we're serious about saying that it is—it is very possible and pragmatic to say that there are examples of that teachers can initiate change from within. And often as that change from within, it, it takes time, as Will's saying. I mean, this, all, all substantives, you know, change that can be sustained takes a long time. But we have great examples of teachers who are with us in Change School and the modern learners community who are leading change from the middle. They, they're, they're helping their leadership see what's possible. And the final comment, which I think is probably the most important one is we times get a little bit too locked in our echo chamber and we forget that there are a couple of other groups of people who can be influencers on the change that we might aspire to. Um, that first group of parents, obviously, I think we grossly underestimate how many parents are now have an increasing awareness of the need for change. They may not be able to articulate it. But all parents are aware of the change in the world around us, but they may not be able to articulate what that change might or even think through the implications of what that change might mean for school. But when you put it to them, when you when you build some ideas with them, they start to respond to them and don't just think that school should be the way school was when they were there. But then, of course, the most important group, the students. And in many cases, you give a voice to students, not just student voice as we talk about, You you create a platform, a medium through which kids can start talking about what they believe their future should look like and what they should be doing in school and where they think they should be directing their energies and their ideas and their passions, and all of a sudden it just doesn't become about one teacher or one leader in a school having these ideas. All of a sudden you're building community, you're building parents, you're building peers, you're building kids, you're building a much stronger base on which you can actually start to to really drive sustainable change within schools
0: yeah, I think that those are both areas where we don't give enough credit to parents and students who who can have a voice and a say and an opinion about it. And I think that it's because they can't articulate it in our education speak that we you know we don't seek that out as much. However, whenever I talk to parents, they're frustrated with school, they're frustrated with homework, they're frustrated with so many things. And, and when I talk to them about my vision for what our school could be, they walk away saying, yes, that's exactly what I want my school to be. But at the same time, we have like grades and policies and things that prevent us from moving down that road. And as I mentioned before, I'm in the process of, of working with a team to design a K-12 school. And what I want to figure out is how do I communicate that and involve those parents in that discussion? those who have come so far to our many community meetings that we've already had are like, yes, we need something different. This is very good. But then there's those that, you know, aren't able to come or don't understand what would be happening if they did come and they don't have the language to be able to articulate it. But I want their feedback about how we, how we get better. How do I go find those people and, and give them chances and opportunities to talk about what school could look like?
2: I think I think the, the interesting piece is, as I said, we, we often I mean, all of us continually, and I've read, you know, you certainly have talked about it too, Jethro. we 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 talk about the a colleague of mine used to say, the lonely artisan in the classroom. You know, you often see yourself very isolated in a particular role. And let's let's be fair, let's applaud the efforts that so many teachers have made in trying to drive change from within those four walls. But it is having the ability to see outside the wall and connect to peers, connect to students to start uh, movements, to start an energy towards this it takes a certain skill set. It's about capacity and, and not everyone has the capacity for that. Most people are looking for direct for prompts, uh, cues for doing that and that's what you're really talking about. And That can be as simple as, as building in a third party, building in a Another person. Now, you know, I'll take the most extreme example, which I don't like saying because it's, it's, it is an extreme one. You know, showing most likely to succeed is a video. You know, is is the classic sort of third person starter that oh, here's what someone else is doing, and let's talk about what they're doing, or having a guest speaker come in, or having someone start talking, or, sh- or just simply sharing research. You know, I mean, the problem we have is so much of the educational conversation today is led by journalists and politicians and we've got to we've got to stop that as educators we've got to step up and and we can't step back and say oh it's good you know jethro's got a blog and he's got a great podcast and listen well what are you doing about it you know what are you doing to your school within your school community how are you helping parents be made more aware of the possibilities for what school could be and i, I you you said it very well there i think it's um, to be really honest with you, I don't think a lot of educators have got that have got that articulation very, very crisp. you know it's it's a funny thing, isn't it? When you say to someone, Well, it's funny because uh, for listeners you probably know, Jethro's in the process of of you know looking at building a school from the ground up and 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 you know when someone says to you, Well, there you go, you've got a clean slate, what would you like it to be?" most people surprisingly respond by by a blank look, by silence, because guess what? We haven't had practice at it. Our lives have always been this is what it's going to be, this is where it is, this is where it is, very predictable and very certain. And so when you say to people, hey, listen, now let's start thinking about how we're going to articulate alternatives, how we're going to articulate it, you've got to go back to some basics and, and that's, where we, that's where we always start. You know, We're always back, as you would know from our work, looking at what we call a modern learning lens which I'm sure will talk about in a moment but it's it's trying to give what we try to do is give people that language give them that the the the, the way to articulate it in a manner that other people will connect with not not in edgy speak or not in jargon or clichés or you know whatever acronyms but in language that people understand because if they're going to let go of their own schooling and their own model of schooling that they're so familiar with as parents, and remember, as teachers too, if people are going to let go of what they know, then we have to be much clearer in the way we describe what we want it to be.
1: Yeah, I think too, you know, trying to get people from the community to interact in those conversations at an early stage. You know, one of the things that existing schools, if you're trying to really make change happen, the best vehicle for communication are your students. And when they go home and start talking about how they're more engaged, more excited, more interested, doing interesting things, solving real problems, all that type of stuff. I mean, that's better than any, you know, brochure or any, you know, video that you can show or whatever else. But the question becomes when you don't have a school and you don't have kids in a school yet who are doing interesting things, you know, how do you? How do you make that happen? I, I still think that there's lots of opportunities for kids to lead those kinds of conversations in the community and to to use their own language around how they learn, what they want what they want schools to be, and to connect that in into a larger narrative around a different way of doing school. So it's a challenge. There's no question. But I think the more that we can put kids at the forefront of those conversations, the more appealing they become, because uh, I think every community has a hopefully as a communal sense of care for the kids in those communities. And they want to see, you know, um, places that that uh, where kids can flourish and, and do interesting things. Yeah, and and I've
0: definitely experienced that here at my school and in my previous school where what we're doing right now is called, we call it Synergy. And it's just, you know, a made up name to give a context for something. And, and we call that learning without limitations that when you do a project in like a math class, then the teacher is obligated to talk a lot about math and make sure there's math in there. In this one, it's during our advisory period, and the focus during that time is social-emotional learning and soft skills and things like that, which we haven't done successfully previously. Now we're using it as a time for kids to create their own projects and then just do cool things to impact their community, which is turning out really awesome. And there are many really amazing things that are happening, like kids want other kids to know how to use a social network, so they're creating their own social network that's only going to be active with our students because they'll authenticate with the way they already authenticate and they won't be able to be anonymous and they'll be able to teach them how to use a social network appropriately hopefully i mean that's that's the kids goal i mean hopefully yeah how cool is that like if that's great. if they had that in their regular class the teacher would be like well how does this relate to science or math or whatever and they'd have to keep tying it back and they don't have that limitation and so we're seeing kids do amazing things. One of the challenges though, is that kids are not used to this freedom either. Right. Right. And so some kids are not using that time effectively and are using it to, you know, goof off because they're middle schoolers. And like, I'm okay with that because we're learning and this is a new process, but there's still a lot of angst and frustration because the kids aren't all doing the same thing at the same time. And some kids are far ahead and some kids are just figuring things out and it's really challenging. What, what
1: advice do you schoolers, Middle schoolers goof off. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, shy. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, well, so a lot of that, you know, I think that we've conditioned kids to uh, wait to be told what to learn, when to learn it, how to learn it, how they're going to be assessed on it. So when we give them freedom and agency to do the things, we say to them, you know, do things that you're interested in or solve a problem that you might want to solve. They kind of go, either they, they go, well, I have no idea what that means or what that looks like, or they say, no, 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 no. You know, I, I'm trying to figure out this game of doing well in school and now you're changing the rules on me and you can't do that because I, I think I've got it figured out pretty well. Not um, too yet. Yeah, you know, so we do that to them. I think that that's the, that's the important uh, understanding here. And I think the way we change that is we ne- we don't do it to them in the first place, right? We We really create experiences for kids early on in primary school or elementary school where They're continuing to be able to learn along the lines of what they're interested in, what their passions are. Um, And then we guide them to do real world stuff in the context of those interesting things because school should be real world. Um, You know, we tell the story a lot about Ontario that was, uh, that went to an all play all day kindergarten type of environment. And The people who were most upset about that were the first grade teachers who were thinking that the kids would never be prepared for first grade. But as it turns out, when you give kids freedom and choice and let them pursue things they're interested in, they learn half the first grade curriculum in kindergarten. Who knew, right? And now they're talking about, you know, K through 6 all play all day. And by play, you know, they mean choice and freedom to pursue interesting things. That doesn't mean that we don't have things to teach them. That doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, some knowledge that we want to impart, but we just look at it differently we just kind of come at it in a different way and I think if we started with that we wouldn't get kids who were necessarily kind of stumped by the idea of agency and to be honest I think we get a lot less goofing off even in middle school perhaps if kids were working on things that they really cared about a lot of goofing off is just boredom and it's um, a lack of engagement so yeah I think that's a it's an interesting kind of um, meta-reflection that educators and education needs to do in terms of looking at what, what part of that do we own in the first place. It's also very much
2: the notion of the importance of setting expectations because what we don't realise is we have expectations at every aspect of schooling which have been embedded in us since we were there ourselves or whatever. So a kid goes off to school for the first day, you know, a parent has certain expectations, of, you know, pretty much of exactly what's going to happen. If we're going to shift the goalposts and if we're going to start rethinking the way the school is going to be structured, then we have to spend a lot of time beforehand explaining what, not just what's going to change, but why it's going to change. And a lot of people don't invest the time in the why. And that's, of course, the basis on where, you know, all change should be rooted. But it is, is, as Will said, totally predictable that of of all the, of all the, different entities that might push back on any shift like that. It's kids, particularly around the middle school, who are going to feel the most uncomfortable because they've, they've developed a certain uh, love of certainty and and, and they know what, what the game is and they just want to get it over with. The, the interesting thing I was just going to say too when we start talking about this and we start talking about what we're doing when we say change school is the language we used. And we all use this term, so I'm not just throwing it up because you did, Jethro. But how interesting is it that we talk about soft skills? I mean, who came up with that stupid name? Because if anything, if anything demeans what all three of us and most people who are listening believe are the most critical skills, it's that it 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 was this lovely, you know, word that someone just dropped on us. So every time you say soft skills, oh yeah, yeah, you know, they're yeah, the soft skills. It's crazy. Yet we we've let that come into our language in a way that demeans the process.
0: Well, and and that's something where I think that that is really the only thing we need to teach students are the soft skills. I mean,
1: they'll – so I got – Whoa, (laughs) whoa, now hold on there. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. on Hang on. Send you're on. you're (laughs) on (laughs) on, the to. You're going to want to edit that out, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) The only thing we want to teach the soft (laughs)
2: skills. (laughs) Oh, Oh, mate. Well, I didn't know we were going to talk about This is radical. <laughs> this is <laughs> <more> <laughs>
1: radical. No, but I'm sorry. But, no, but I think you're right. But go ahead. I'm interested to hear the rest of that sentence.
0: Well, the reality is, is that if that's all that we teach them, I firmly believe that kids are curious enough and interested enough that they'll learn most of the other things we think they need to learn through school. And so what we need to help them figure out is, how do we treat people with kindness? How do we communicate effectively? How do we make a plan and stick to it and have perseverance and resilience and all those kinds of things? Those are the things that that they actually need help with figuring out. They need someone to say, it's okay. You didn't get it this time, but you can get it the next time. Because even me as a successful adult, I still am plagued with self-doubt and not believing in myself and thinking, boy, can I actually can I actually put together this K-12 school? Can I actually lead a school? I still struggle with those things regularly. And, and I need somebody else to say, yeah, Jethro, you've got this. And, and we need coaches and supporters who can tell us those things. That's the second half of my sentence.
1: So you're reminding me just really fast. Uh, I listened to a uh, podcast the other day. Ted has a daily podcast now. Um, and it's an interview with Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote Eat, Love, Pray. And, uh, she was talking about her book, Big Magic, and she was talking about fears and uncertainty and how we all carry around these things. And it was it's just a powerful interview where she talks about the fact that, you know, we, we have to acknowledge those emotions. We have to acknowledge fear. We have to acknowledge uncertainty and, and all of that. But we don't have to let those drive the car. That's her metaphor. Right. We can put them in the back seat and we can <laughs> say, yeah, you're here and we'll deal with it. But you're right. We don't do any of that with kids. You know, we don't really spend, well, I won't say any of it, but we don't spend enough time helping kids understand the just craziness of our brains and how we see things, how we perceive things, the emotions that we have, the feelings that we have, and how many times those things drive what we do. I mean, I'm kind of dealing with this with my son right now, you know, too. You know, he's playing basketball in college and, you know, he's seven games in and he's feeling a little bit uncertain, you know, and he's in that dip point, you know, and I just keep saying to him, Tuck, you know, it's just your head, you know, it's it's just, it's just going on up here. But even, you know, all of us struggle with that stuff. So I agree with you. I think we spend a lot more time helping kids live through those types of emotions and feelings and understand them, contextualize them, you know, give them the appropriate amount of weight and concern and all that stuff, kind of stuff, instead of trying to teach them a whole bunch of stuff in a curriculum that they don't really care about, that they're never going to use, that, you know, is just this kind of legacy stuff. I think our kids would be a lot better off, especially in a world that's changing as quickly as today's world is changing, because they're going to have to have those dispositions and they're there's going to be a lot of stuff in their heads that they're going to have to be able to, to just balance out and, and deal with. So I agree with you, but that's a very radical statement, Jethro. I hope you realise the extent to which, you know, you've kind of gone off the edge there. I don't know. Yes, I'm that. I think also often,
2: I don't know, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it, can't, it often comes down to trust. You know, do we trust kids to make good choices? Well, the answer is we don't give them much opportunity. In in industrial schools, Um, so therefore we'd obviously have some doubts because we never see evidence that they can make good choices. And often, you know, in other environments, they they uh, you know have other other priorities. And so, you know, for some reason, we believe that if we build those sorts of schools that you're both talking about, and we have kids who have a solid foundation on which they're living their lives, and they have all those those skills, they can work with other people, they can solve problems, they can curious. They're, they're passionately curious. That that somehow they won't, that won't. We can't trust them to make their way in life. And it's 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 a really sad state of affairs that it's got to this point. I mean, it's just a lack of trusting that kids will make those choices that they need to to be successful.
0: So I've got I've got a good story about this with my daughter who was in kindergarten last year, and my wife and I we set goals every year and. I'm very goal oriented. And so we decided last year that we were going to start setting goals with our kids, year long goals, because we wanted to start thinking bigger than just the week. And in half the year last year, we set uh week long goals. And, and so my kids have understood that like, this is something we do. And then we check up on it. And so my daughter who was in kindergarten was going to school and was having a fine time with it. But I could tell that she just wasn't really loving it. I mean, she was enjoying the sociality and that kind of stuff, but she wasn't she wasn't really engaged or enrolled, as Seth Godin calls it. And I wanted her to be enrolled. And so we asked, you know, what kind of goals the kids wanted to set. And my daughter, who didn't know how to read yet, said she wanted to learn how to read. And there was, there was no prompting from us that this is what you need to do. This is the skill you need to have. We just talked about what kinds of things you're interested in and what do you want to do. Now, uh, my son set a goal to... He wanted to write a game and become a coder. And so we said, great. We got him support and gave him some tools to be able to do that. And just the other day, he said, I don't have a goal because I'm not interested in that anymore. And so he just kind of bailed on that, which, again, I'm okay with that. We gave him the gave some effort, and then he decided he wasn't really interested, and that was fine. My daughter, on the other hand, she set this goal, and then she wanted to be able to read by the end of the year. And by summertime, she was reading chapter books already. And like, we didn't do anything more with her, other than support her in that. And she because she made the goal. (laughs) This is so amazing. She said, I need you to read to me so that I can learn how to read. And so she would push us to read to her each night. And so we would do that. And then she would go read with her sister and she would read to us she would start to do that and she'd read a page and we'd read a page and like she developed her process for how she was going to learn to read. My wife has tried to teach her to read twice before she went into school because we know that she's smart and capable. She had no interest in it until she decided she was ready. And then all of a sudden she picked it up just like that way faster than if we had actually been trying to do it. It was amazing.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. You raised it about reading. Cause I'm really actually about, about the way that reading and the so-called reading wars get in the way of kids' kids' natural instinct for it, and and it, it, it's probably of all the things we do with kids, that's the one where we just get in the way so often. And the whole notion of reading ages and, and and whatever else you can you can go right off on a tangent if you go down that path, but I think it's a great example of where kids will go if you give them the space and you have the confidence and you trust them.
0: And and on that same token, this summer, my daughter, that same daughter, also learned how to ride a two-wheel bike without uh, training wheels and my son saw her doing that and was like he's older than her he's like how does she get to ride without training wheels and we're like well she wanted to and so <laughs> he decided he wanted to also and he started riding without training wheels too and just those the going back to the idea do we trust kids in our current system we don't give them any opportunity to be trustworthy and we need to expose them more to that Yeah. You guys talked a little bit about the Modern Learners lens, and I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about that. I put a link in the show notes to the four-part video series that, that is on the Modern Learners website at modernlearners.com slash focused. Will, do you want to just give us a little introduction into that Modern Learner lens for those who aren't familiar?
1: Sure. Well, we, we kind of think there's uh, there's four different areas that we have to understand and think hard about before we can begin to make the best decisions that we can possibly make for kids in schools. The first is to have a coherent and shared and well-articulated belief around what learning is in our school community so that there's some, Common language around when, you know, when I say learning, you understand, you you have an understanding of what I mean, that we're not, we don't have 30 different definitions of the word <laughs> for 30 different teachers or whatever else. Um, and same, similarly, that that our commitments are clear, that our value systems are clear, mission, and vision, all those types of, of things are, are shared. Um, we use a Gary quote, Gary Stager quote all the time where he says, you know, where schools get in trouble is where they don't know what they believe, they don't articulate what they believe, and they don't live what they believe. And so that belief system is very, very important to us. That's, that's kind of the first part of the lens. The second part is to understand the world as it is today and to see the world clearly for what it is today. And that's not just about technology, but it's also about politics. It's about environment. It's about all the different kind of changes that are happening in the, in the new contexts in the world that are going to affect our lives and affect the, the lives of our kids in school. Um, certainly they are going to be uh, challenged with a whole bunch of things that most of us weren't challenged with when we were growing up and, and, you know, early in our adult lives. So, you know, really looking hard at what those things are, things like literacy, how literacy is changing, are or we, or we, or we seeing the world with a modern literacy um, and just those different types of context. So that's the second piece. The third piece is, do we fully understand what's now possible in classrooms? And a lot of that is about technology, but it's it's, a part of it is just good learning, you know, and, and how we create conditions in classrooms for, um, for deep and powerful learning to happen, but then how we also amplify that with the technological aspects of our lives right now, where we can make things and create and share and communicate and all that type of stuff, and, and, and the pedagogies of, of this kind of modern moment as well. And then we wrap all of that in culture, which is absolutely crucial. It's like the lifeblood of any, any organization. And we're really big fans of Peter Senge, who talks a lot about schools and, and, and organizations that learn. And so how do you create a culture of learning? How do you look at everyone in your culture as a learner? How do you create conditions for everyone to learn um, as an organization and as a culture? And so if change is something that you think is required and urgent, as uh, we do, We've just found that those four pieces are crucial to creating relevant and sustainable change. Um, And that there are gaps that exist if you don't have all four of those that subvert change and in many cases, you know, kind of just uh, render it ineffective or that eventually it'll just revert back to the way things were. Most of the change initiatives that we see in schools are not grounded in those types of conversations. And, and, uh, again, we just feel like that's the starting point. Um, you have to build the capacity to understand all four of those things and to begin to act on all four of those things before you can then build a different vision of practice and build a different sense of, of, you know, what learning should look like in classrooms.
0: Um, Sonia Risley is the uh, founder of the design 39 campus in Poway, california which is doing some cool things also and she described it as it's like a rubber band and a rubber band is going to want to go back to its natural position which is how teachers were trained how teachers experienced it how families were trained in school and how they experienced it and if you don't do something to change the nature of that rubber band which i think is by having those conversations that you're talking about through the modern learner lens then you you, that rubber band is going to go back to its natural shape and so you've got to do things to make it change from a rubber band to a string or something else and it's certainly not easy and i think that those those four areas are a good place to start bruce anything to add there
2: yeah just to expand on a little and to say that what you reinforce what you just said jethro that that our problem is that too often in schools when we talk about change or transformation, I mean, the worst example obviously was the way we introduced technology. I mean, we, we made a complete mess of it for the first 10 or 15 years with labs and just fell apart at the seams. And then finally when we decided that we thought kids should have, you know, their own personal device, ubiquitous access to technology, we just delivered it ultimately in many cases because we wanted kids to be tested faster and better and more often. So, you know, he, he was, you know, potentially one of the biggest catalysts to what could happen in our schools, to what could make what it could make possible. And we simply, you know, we bastardized its introduction. And it's a good example of us not understanding the process of change. We have to deal, we have to go to the fundamentals, you've got to deal with the roots of it. You've got to go right down to the foundations. And often we think of our labs as reset labs because it is about completely resetting the basis on which we are. Thinking about school, it's not just layering something over the top like technology or some new pedagogy or some new fad or you know idea that someone had. This is going back to the roots. This is going back to the very core foundations on which school is based and developed and built. And that's what you're going to be doing, obviously, Jethro, and the work you're doing. And when we do that, that rubber band is a different shape. It's 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 a different it's a different piece of rubber, um, and hopefully, it, it finds a new shape that uh, embraces these ideas.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I've got uh, my final question I'm going to ask, but before I do that, I want to make sure you guys have an opportunity to um, promote the the labs, the modern learners website, change school, whatever you guys want to shout out there to my listeners, because anybody who's listening to this probably would be interested in what you guys are doing as well. And I want to make sure they know where to find you and get more information.
2: Well, I'll just, I mean, maybe I'll just make a couple of comments quickly. We've got a, we do have a, we've got a whole series now of, of uh, channels by which way we're engaging people. And the lab certainly has been the one of most recent times, which has meant we've had a lot more time face-to-face with people. But it's all built around what we call a modern learners community. That's a place where people who engage with us through any one of our channels, through our labs, through Change School, through a whole range of different avenues, come together and discuss the items that are important to them. And that Modern Learners community they can go to um, very easily. All all the links for all of our channels are available through modernlearners.com. People who just want to read the blog and the newsletter obviously can sign up on that website. And the labs that we've got coming up, we do have one more. We've done about eight so far this year, ranging from a number in Christchurch, uh, Auckland, and in Australia in Perth, and a series in America. But we've got one more up in uh, Chicago, if people are interested. Um, That'll be on December the 19th, and uh, they can get information again from that from our website. And then next year we'll be running labs. Um, We're running a series in uh, spring, in early April and another series in May in America and in Canada and then later in the year we hope to be running something, some more in Australia and possibly in Europe as well. But that's across, that's the labs, which has certainly been a very big initiative and very successful. We'll maybe like to talk about some of the other areas that we're working.
1: Well, just the only one I want to mention is Change School. I mean, uh, it's at Change.School. We're going to um, open, well, we're already open for our seventh cohort, which is going to start in February. And we're putting together a cohort in Europe and Africa in those time zones. So uh, if there are our listeners internationally who are interested in that, and we're also obviously going to do a cohort uh, for North America and whoever else wants to join us in that. But I, I think if people are interested in a, in a longer term, deeper dive into the change process and, and to just push their thinking and come out with a maybe a different view on on what schools might be and could be. Like I said at the at the top, uh, Change School has become uh, some of the best work that we've done in, just in, in the context of those conversations and in building people capacity to do that. And uh, just the other one really fast, If I think the best overview of our work and where we kind of sit in this space is our 10 Principles for Schools of Modern Learning white paper. You can get that at modernlearners.com slash 10, the number, Principles. And we're actually, in a couple of weeks, going to put out an audit to go along with that, which will be a little bit of a checklist for people to use to kind of look at their own schools and get some sense as to where they are in terms of of, uh, some of those qualities that we've identified, at least from the schools we've worked with, as being important for uh, creating a different experience of schools for kids. Very
0: cool. So is Alaska on that uh, modern learners' labs (laughs)
1: list? (laughs) It could be.
2: (laughs) Of course, absolutely. And only thing, Jethro, as I said to you before, we did engage in this uh, podcast. Possibly the months of uh, late May <laughs> to uh, June, July might be slightly more appealing. But nonetheless, I'm, we're okay. very flexible.
0: Good to know. We'll have to talk some more about that uh, after the, the interview. That's That'll be a lot of fun. And I agree, those are the best times to be up here for sure. Unless you live up here, which I love it all year round. So the last question that I uh, would like to ask is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you?
2: That's a hell of a question. Um, Let's not say like, like us. I mean, I I would say that and and the answer is actually quite boring to be really honest. And that's, that's to, to engage more deeply in, in the spaces that we all refer to. In other words, The people who come to us in these conversations are learning so much from each other and they're getting strength and courage from each other. I mean, isolation is, you know, it bewilders and belittles you in the role that you have and when you can connect with others and build that network and that's what we're most proud of in the work through Change School and modernlearners.com. It it really gives you the courage and, and the commitment and the strength to go ahead and make these changes. But along with that, as part of that, I think everyone says to us, you know, that they have this permanent account now with, with Amazon because, you know, between the work that all of us might come across o- online through, you know, posts and, and blogs and whatever else, some of the some of the core books that we've been referring to I think help people ground their own beliefs, find their own space. And, and I don't just mean come across a great idea. I mean really dig down into it. And When we're reading people, as, as Will said, Senge and particularly Seymour Saris and Seymour Papert, you start talking about these people, you start to build a confidence that, you know, maybe there are some ideas here that I really find attractive, that i uh, close to where I, my core is, what I believe in. And, and that's what's always driven us is that, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to live your beliefs. There's no point, you know, living one thing and, and doing another. And if you're able to do that and you're able to ground it and articulate those beliefs, then that gives you the strength to take on the role
1: that we think is so important. Yeah, and I would say just having a willingness to, just to build on what Bruce just said, but having a willingness to, to um, see if you're actually doing what you believe in your classrooms. And to try to identify um, the gaps that exist, because, you know, one of the things we do with people is we ask them, you know, if if we just walked into your school and walked around for a couple of hours, didn't really talk to anybody, but just observed what was happening in classrooms, what would we walk away believing about um, your beliefs around how learning happens? And in many cases, as much as we say that it takes passion and agency and real world work and timelessness and all that kind of stuff. When you look in the classrooms, a lot of that stuff really isn't happening very often. And I think the first, the first step toward changing it is to admit that we have an issue, admit we have a problem, and to identify what that problem is, look at those gaps, and then start to figure out how do we fill those gaps and do more of what we believe leads to deep and powerful learning. Yeah, I think
0: that's really powerful in that that what you said will really resonates with me because there are so many times where we can get away with not doing what we've always done and act in accordance with our beliefs. And it's easy to say, well, I can't do that because when in reality we have a lot more power over that than we originally think we do. So I just appreciate that. Thank you guys so much for being part of transformative principle. It's been truly an honor chatting with you. So thanks for your time.
1: Likewise. Thanks, Tetra. It's been, it's been a Thanks
0: again for listening to transformative principle and thanks to Will and Bruce for being part of the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have not yet go to transformative org slash best year ever and sign up for that course and make 2019 your most amazing year yet.